Sonia, thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having me. Nice to speak to you in English for the first time. Yes. <laughs> um, we only have uh, about 60 minutes, so we're going to dive uh, straight into it. Please. Your favorite topic, the pelvic floor. <laughs> the core in the pelvic floor, my, yes. my question is, if we stop a random person on the street, will they know what the pelvic floor is? Uh, I think they probably sadly won't. Like a big percentage of people will probably point somewhere around their belly or their lower back. Yeah. Probably because of the world, the word pelvis or pelvic, Yeah. which will yeah. guide them. But why? Why don't we know about it? Oh, why didn't I know about it for most of my life? Such a good question. Um, and I think the answer is so multi-layered, but I think... Um, let's peel it. Let's yeah, peel it. let's peel it here and now. So I think that um, our like cultural backgrounds, our history about everything that's below our belt line is like very complicated. Our relationship to everything that's below our waist is really complicated. And depending on cultures in different um, countries, there is a different uh, way to deal with all the dysfunction, pains and issues we can have um, in our pelvic or pelvic floor area. So I think that this area has like this awakening in the last decade um, that we are progressing and developing on so many levels of uh, science and so many levels of like human development. So we're able to speak about our genitals more freely and about the dysfunctions of our, the muscles around the genitals and sexual dysfunctions, pelvic floor pain, pelvic pain. Is it, so is it, is it a strong sexual connection? So um, let's, let's see it from this side. So I'm a physiotherapist. I'm um, in this field, I'm working in this field about eight years. I'm coming from the background of orthopedic um, and skeletal pain and athlete rehab. I'm looking at the system of the core muscles and the pelvic floor is part of the core muscles. So I see myself as a core and pelvic floor specialist. It's part of the same system. So when you ask me if, um, if sexuality is a big part of that, then I say, yes, your core muscles and your pelvic floor muscles have the function of um, like the sexual function is a part of, of what it supplies. Yeah. Um, so, yes, um, sexuality is part of the function of the core and the it, pelvic floor. Is it the main f function of the pelvic floor? Like if you if you mention to someone the pelvic floor, should they be thinking about the sexuality part of it? Or are there so many other layers they should be thinking about before they jump into the connotation of the sexuality? I give you a compare. If I tell you um, a function of your mouth is um, talking. Would you say that this is the most important function? <laughs> Fair <laughs> like, enough. <laughs> you also want to be able to drink and to eat and to kiss laugh. and all of these things. Yeah. Laugh, exactly. So it's, it's one of the functions. But I can tell you that one thing really stood out to me, and that's why I specialized in the pelvic floor and core muscles, is that so much of our life quality and of our self-esteem and of our happiness in life and our self-worth is related to this area. And it is so neglected by the medical industry. If, uh, for example, uh, a young man comes to the doctor and he suffers from chronic lower back pain um, and he also, with his um, chronic lower back pain, suffers from sexual dysfunction or he suffers from, and here we come to the other functions of the pelvic floor, he suffers from um, urinary incontinence. That means he can't hold his urine or he suffers from fecal incontinence and he can't hold his stool in. Yeah. So sometimes there's so much shame 
um, around this area, or sometimes the doctor is not even going into this topic. There is this block of communication between the two, and then there are so many people that fall through the grid of the health system who suffer from um, from um, fecal or or um, bladder or sexual dysfunctions, which are not being um, helped. So do you think because of our culture, because the culture um, has this sexual uh, blockage in, the, in our minds that we don't want to go that route, the doctor doesn't want to go that route, the doctor doesn't want to check that, people don't want to talk about it, people are embarrassed to bring it up, do you think that hurts the uh, pelvic floor um, name in our lives? Um, so I think in general, you can say that, um, do you think it limits us from finding out more about it and, um, uh, paying attention to it because of that sexuality element to it? Yeah. I mean, everything that's, that's not addressed is being neglected. I think, again, if we come to the, the roles and the important roles of the pelvic floor, Sexual function is one that is very important. Again, we talk about life quality. We talk about that it's part of um, of the responsibility of your medical provider to um, also uh, help you with those issues. It's part of your health. It's your sexual health. It's a big part yeah. of your life. But other than that, the pelvic floor has many other um, um, uh, functions that are important, as we call it, like uh, continence. Um, the ability to hold in your, your pee and your stool and the ability um, to, for example, carry a baby full term. So also the pelvic floor there needs to be able to um, carry through a pregnancy, deliver and give birth. Um, if we think about the male perspective, um, the pelvic floor also there for athletes, um, uh, cycle, bicycle riders, um, people that do weightlifting. So all of this is the core in the pelvic floor. And it's it's such a such a complex uh, and beautiful system, and and yeah, and in in my career, I I was researching more and more about the core, and I really always ask why. I always ask why. So when I started working in in Germany, when I did my my studies there eight years ago, um, I I was nearly burnt out. I, like I was really young when I started with this job. And Did you know about the pelvic floor and its function in the body before you jumped into these uh, studies? So in our in our studies as, pel as uh, physiotherapists, we do learn about anatomy of the whole body. We learn about every area of the body, about anatomy, about the um, pathologies that can occur in those areas. But in, in physiotherapy, when you finished your studies, you just have the base education. And afterwards, you have to do more specializations. So... Pelvic floor physiotherapy is a very hands-on profession. So how does it look like when a person comes to see me? Um, we actually do a very um, detailed assessment of the pelvic floor, which is, first of all, verbally, where we talk about things like um, uh, where if there is a pain, where the pain is located. We do a full body scan, like an orthopedic checkup. Um, we look at the posture. We look at the breathing. Um, And then we also, if the person agrees and consents, we also do uh, an internal pelvic floor checkup where we actually um, look at the muscle tension. We look at the organs of the pelvic floor. It's kind of like a gynecologist um, uh, checkup. Yeah. So it's not for everyone. So not every physiotherapist is like, yay, that's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I'm like so, so interested in that. And like, it's just... It, yeah, diving into this rabbit hole of studying more about the pelvic floor 
uh, is yeah what I do every day, and I learn so much more things about it every day, and it's just yeah mind blowing. So, but you finding out more about it, specializing in it, you said it was coming from an area of you learning about the core and always mm. asking why and why and why. Exactly. Um, so, what do you think made you interested to yeah. find out why and start peeling those layers of yeah. the core? So yeah, I started. I started. Um, saying that when I when I started studying in Germany I was very young and I wanted to give the best care to my to my clients with back pain with um, athlete injuries with chronic pain and I felt that my my treatment um, was kind of not leading to that point where I was like, hey, we we're really getting to the root of the issue I always asked why? Because I never felt that we really targeted the root. Where is the root? So when you always go deeper and dig deeper and say, okay, but where does this back pain come from? Okay, but why does he have this posture that leads to the back pain? How do we, how do we um, give the client the best home exercise? How do we give him the best lifestyle advice to really um, treat the, the root cause? So then you can do those courses that specify. So you can learn about the different systems of the body in specific. So then when I found out, wow, the core muscles is such an important um, part of the body. So the core muscles is a, a combination, is a, is a team of muscles um, consisting of your breathing muscle, your diaphragm, your deep abdominal and deep spinal stabilizers and your pelvic floor. So when you look at them all together, it's like a ball. Yeah, that's why you call it the core. It's in the center of the body. Yeah. And when when you research more and more about the the mechanics of the core muscles and what relationship it has to the upper extremity, to the legs, and how back pain is um, managed, uh, this is so so interesting. So me being a pelvic floor physio comes from many aspects, but one of them is just my curiosity of how can we treat our clients in the most effective way to lead them to their best quality of life. Um, that's basically it. And and a few other background stories. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so tell me, so what got you into these studies to wanting to be a physiotherapist? What led you there? Um, Okay, so it's a uh, because you know jumping into becoming a physiotherapist, um, it's not like you're going to solve everyone's problems. There's always going to be new people coming in, new people experiencing pain. Um, so it's a um, it's a noble cause, some might say. Uh, so what made you take this so, upon yourself? Yeah. So um, wow, I want. I always wanted to be a physiotherapist. There was never like any time of my Even life. Even as a kid? I am um, planning on uh, this route since I'm 12 years old. Wow. So I knew I wanted to be a physio when I was 12. Um, also like because my mom was like really like helping me with kind of seeing my options. She's a job agent, you know. So that's like kind of, <laughs> I had like the, all the options. She was like, look, this is all your options. I was like, wow, this <laughs> physiotherapist thing sounds so amazing. And I actually was a physiotherapy assistant when I was 15. Um, when I was wow. 16, I started my studies. Where in Germany? In Germany, yeah. Where? where? In Munich. Munich, nice. Medical Academy in Munich. So in, with 16, I started my studies. With 19, 20-ish, uh, I finished my studies. And then when I was 20, I started working. Uh, so I was very young back then. So really from the age of 15, you've been exposed to this world. Exactly, exactly. So, so since then, I, I, I just um, have this approach of like, 
um, seeing the detail, zooming in, but then also zooming out and seeing the big picture. And that's how you can tell, like, that's how I can tell that I have a few years of experience um, since it's easier for me right now to zoom in and zoom out. Um, than it was a few years back? Yeah, yeah. Mm, I feel we're like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, let it go. So, no, okay. So, so, um, so, you, so you always knew that this is what you wanted to do. Yeah. You've yeah. been exposed to it for a long time. Um, years of experience. Do you feel different today than you felt five years ago when you were approaching a client? Uh, yeah, definitely. In what sense? Like what makes you just the experience of being able to, does, is your assessment of a situation changed? Like, do you feel Let's like... Let's talk a bit more like about the pelvic, like about the, like, you want to like hear my experience as a physio or like, like my... Anything. Mm. Anything. Mm. Um... Yeah, so, so I feel that the, the difference experience of being a physiotherapist back then when I started uh, to where I am today is, is when you start, you're very naive. You, wanna, you think that you are um, healing people. You think that you are changing something in people's lives. And then as the years go on, you realize that you are the facilitator and you realize that every person that comes to you, you ask them, why are you coming? Why did you come in today? And when their answer is because my doctor told me to come, then you already know that it's not an inner yep. motivator and it's going to be a bit harder for the person to reach their goals. So today I'm, a, I'm well aware that um, I'm a facilitator and people that are seeking my help, um, they have to have a certain readiness to implement lifestyle changes. So um, many people want help and many people want to overcome pain, but um, less people are really, truly ready to implement changes in their life, um, which is the, the thing that makes us uh, progress, is change. Yeah, and is it again, are we back to the culture? Um, I don't know if it's culture or just human nature, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Well, the, uh, the first people you ever treated, was it athletes? No, the first people I've ever treated. Um, so when I was a physiotherapy assistant, I worked in uh, actually a uh, um, neurologic center with many uh, kinds of disabilities and disabled children and adults in all ages. So that's where I started. I was yeah. very interested in neurology when I started out with my um my physiotherapy career and then throughout my studies I thought I will go to a neurologic rehab um, actually the first time I visited Israel was for a student exchange uh, in 2013 we went to Herzog hospital to the stroke unit yeah. and we worked there on the stroke unit it was really um, impressive I was very um, very interested in, in neurology and neurologic rehab um, and then after, uh, when I graduated, I started working in um, orthopedic rehab, so low back pain, um, like some athlete injuries, but also a lot of geriatrics, so older people in that area. Yeah. Um, and that, that's where I worked for one year. And then I did uh, my move to Israel. And then here I continued more in the orthopedic and athlete rehab um, area. So do you see a lot of athletes regularly, like practicing professional athletes, uh, yes. aspiring athletes? Yes. Yeah. So uh, basically we worked uh, in the clinic that I'm um, working. We are. Um, uh, so in the clinic that I'm working at, we are taking care of the rugby women's rugby team. So we see a lot of rugby injuries, 
um, weightlifting, CrossFit is a big, uh, a big section that we're um, dealing with. Uh, I always, um, rugby, obviously, um, everyone can associate injuries with rugby. Um, but I, when people ask me why I don't do CrossFit, I always say, I don't want to get injured. Yeah. Um, it just seems so, it's from the outside at least, ignorantly, it seems so wild. Um, it's like my body is unable to do a hundred pull-ups in 20 minutes, but I'm expected to. So I'm going to find some way that my body can pull me up that bar more than I can possibly do it. And then every time I see CrossFitters, they're always recovering from some injury. Yeah. And, uh, thank God they do. Otherwise I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> do they, uh, do athletes, are they aware of the pelvic floor? Are they aware of its importance to the body? Do they, do they take the measures to um, make sure it's part of their life to maintain uh, the pelvic floor? Um, I wouldn't um, split the separation in athletes and non-athletes. I think like even for athletes, there is people who know and people who don't know. It depends very much on the sport. So we know that, for example, sports that has high impact um, has a different effect on the pelvic floor than, for example, swimming or a sport that has no gravity or sports which is... Um, 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 upside down, uh, for example, like uh, trapeze yoga or things that are um, without impact. Yeah. So we know that sports with impact are more challenging for the pelvic floor. For example, um, ball sports like uh, basketball, um, things that involve more running, uh, sprinting, jogging, um, sports uh, where there is a lot of weight, so weightlifting, um, CrossFit. Um, is another sport where the pelvic floor is more under demand. Yeah. So basically, but, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, I'm just I'm asking from the sense though that athletes, their bodies, like they need their body to function 100% in order to um, make it in their profession. And a regular. So you talking about professional athletes? Yeah, professional ah, athletes, okay. or even even aspiring aspiring yeah. professional athletes. Yeah. Um, it's just or even if you're an amateur athlete, that your goal this month or this year is to run a marathon or whatever it might be, you need your body to function. Otherwise, you're g wasting your time almost. So that's why maybe I would expect or I would hope that maybe athletes would maybe understand their body better, have better awareness of their body and maybe be more likely to be aware of their pelvic floor than the average person we stop on the street. Mm. Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, I wouldn't say that I could agree with that. I would say that um, people who move regularly um, may have a better connection to their body and may have better sensitivity. So when they notice that they're uh, leaking urine when they do rope uh, skipping, or when they notice um, pain with intercourse, or when they notice something when they're doing sports and they, they feel that their pelvic floor is developing symptoms and they're maybe more likely to speak up and to seek help. I think that's maybe the, the difference. Yeah. Um, but again, then we are back at the, at the start where we said, okay, so then where do they go? Yeah. Which doctor and then where will they send them? Are the doctors aware that there is pelvic floor physiotherapy? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel that that athletes have a have a maybe a higher chance because they could be more sensitive for their own bodies. But again, yeah. the question is, um, what do we do with it, and and where do we go from there? Yeah, and then there's uh, I'm going to take you uh, maybe peel another layer of um, connotation 
when it comes to pelvic floor. Uh, we talk, we spoke about the that sexual connotation. Then there's the women versus men, where some men I've I've spoken to men who think that only women have a pelvic floor. Yeah. Why? Wow. Well, maybe maybe they. Wow, <laughs> sad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot, and. Like women also just have pelvic floor when they're pregnant. Like they don't have pelvic floor when they're not pregnant. It's just like yeah, it's just like this thing that's always there and it's just always functioning perfectly. And that's what because we never talk about it. So the reason why maybe um, men are less aware of it is is again a few reasons. Um, women women's pelvic floor dysfunctions maybe get more scanned by doctors because they are more likely to see a doctor. Women are more likely to seek medical help for issues like pain with intercourse uh, or any leaking or any pain. And also because they are likely to get pregnant, which is involving regular routine doctor checkups. So these problems will be more scanned, more talked about. So imagine now a man uh, in his 30s, athlete, suddenly he has debilitating pain in his rectal sphincter or debilitating pain in his left scrotum. How likely is this person going to go to see a doctor? Uh, there is many men who are suffering years silently um, because, again, cultural reason, maybe, maybe shame. Um, so that's why they won't speak up. So that's why for men, it's really under talked. Also, men with each other. I mean, women are like, you know, we're like hanging out in the evening. Like, oh, you know, yesterday I was like running to the bus and like, I just like <laughs> leaked some, yeah. some pee or like, you know, we're like talking about these things. Um, and men are just like with each other. Like, hey, bro, yesterday I was like yeah. going home with this hot chick and like my, my butthole was on like on fire. It hurts so bad. Like I had to go home and rest, you know? Not, like, yeah, not going to happen. Not yeah. 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 So, yeah, for example, um, that's a, a good example for, for men. So a symptom that men could have in the pelvic floor would be, for example, tailbone pain or pain on the butthole, like on the muscle itself. Yeah. Um, it's a condition where pan men clench their pelvic floor and hold pelvic floor, for example, when they're stressed, um, which can lead to pain between the legs. So, yeah. So the pelvic floor, it's a muscle. The pelvic floor is a, a, a accumulation of muscles. It's about three muscle layers that are um, closing off the pelvic opening from the bottom. And what are the most common issues with the pelvic floor, the combination of muscles? Is it weakness? Yes. Yeah, so um, as far as the using terms, um, I'm happy you, you asked me if it's weakness because I always like to make like a little um, distinction distinction or? for my clients because most of the people are worried, is it too weak? Is it like, yeah, it's basically always too weak, right? That's what we think about. Like if somebody has problems, it's weakness. Um, but the world is so colorful. Let me tell you, there's so much in between weak and not weak. Um, so it's muscles, right? Yeah. And again, we go back when we talked about the core muscles and you ask me, is, what is sex? Is it the only thing that is important and for, the, for those muscles? The, the same thing is uh, for the pelvic floor muscles. So what is the function? We always talk about functionality. The functionality and the function of the pelvic floor is a few. So if we talk about holding in 
your uh, stool and your urine. That's one. It's holding things in. Second function is expelling things, right? Once you want to go to the toilet, so it's expelling things. So the muscles have to relax. Another function is intercourse. There, it may be a combination of the two. It might be uh, for the penetration, there might be some relaxation involved. And if there is an orgasm, there need to be rhythmic contraction possible. Um, same thing for giving birth. Okay, so giving birth, we're not just only relaxing as we do when there is uh, urine or stool to be passed, as actually an, a huge stretch of this muscle. So that also has to be possible without a huge tearing in those muscles which can occur during birth. So these are the functions of the pelvic floor muscles. We have to be able to contract, but we have to be able also to equally relax and we have to be able to coordinate between the two. So when I do a pelvic floor assessment, I don't care if a person is strong or weak too much. I care about their coordination and about their functionality. So I'm going with them through the assessment. Are you able to poop without straining? Are you able to pee and emptying your bladder fully? Um, are you able to hold your pee when you have a strong urge? Can you make it to the toilet? Um, do you have pain with intercourse? Um, all of these things. Are you able to relax your belly and take a deep breath in your belly? We talked about the core muscles. So the breathing muscle is parallel to our pelvic floor. It sits um, above the pelvic floor in the bottom of our rib cage. So if a person is not able to breathe fully, the pelvic floor will not be able to follow this motion and be flexible and functional. Yeah, and with the... Um, so it's all about control. Coordination. Coordination. Yes. Coordination. So and a, a healthy pelvic floor is a person that has coordination exactly. with using their pelvic exactly. floor muscles. It has full function. They have the choice so, of all their functions. So <laughs> is it less, um, so when we, we, look, we look at it as a set of muscles, three muscles, um, you know, you have three uh, layers. Three layers. There's many, many muscles there. Yeah. So three layers yeah. of muscles. Do we, so do we look at this, these layers of muscles or these, um, do we look at the pelvic floor different than we look at other muscles in the body? We sadly do. That's the problem. No, but, 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 sh <laughs> but, sh but should we look at it in a, does it have its own category of so, muscles? Okay, so a very nice question. So the what's special about the pelvic floor muscles is that we have a mixture there. So what's the difference between your arm muscle and your heart? I don't think I'm qualified to answer that. <laughs> I um, think you do. I yeah. think you do. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know. I, I don't know is the truth. Um, but I... I'm, when I tell you skip a beat with your heart or contract your heart twice... I'm unable to. Exactly. So you have no control over your, of your heart, right? Because it's one of your smooth muscles. It's controlled by your autonomous nervous system. Our arm, I can tell you, flex your biceps, show me where the beach is. <laughs> yeah. And that's in your control. You can do that. So our pelvic floor is separated in those two groups. There is muscles where I, I feel, oh, oh, I'm in an elevator and I feel there is a fart coming and I want to contract the muscles that I can hold that willingly. <laughs> yeah. And then See, that's what, that's what you should be telling people to sell the pelvic floor to people, to sell the understanding is those situations. Exactly. How, how, is it, how useful it could be exactly. in their lives. Exactly. We're going to get to the practical tips. We're going to go, yeah. we're going to give five, five practical tips. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to get to that. So, so um, 
the difference um, in between those muscles, so there is the ones that we can control and there's the ones that are not in our control. So it's two different nervous systems. We have our, um, our um, central nervous system, which is uh, taking our commands, bend the arm, and so on. And then there is the autonomous nervous system, where we have no influence, um, which is regulated um, by... Um, so our heart is regulated by that and the bladder, the bowels, all of these things we can't control. Now digest, now um, yep. bladder expand. So that's things that happen um, out of our control. So that's what's so important. That's what's so interesting about the pelvic floor area because um, we're coming here to, to, to like a new category. So me as a therapist, I need to decide now, is the problem that you're having, for example, um, not being able to hold your pee in, is this a problem of your voluntarily, um, like, muscle dysfunction? Is this a problem of your bladder? So I also need to know about the organs. Yeah. Or is this a muscle of, uh, sorry, is this a dysfunction of your lifestyle habits, of the things you're drinking, of the things you're eating, of your stress levels? So again, stress levels is something that is impacting our autonomous nervous system. Maybe you heard of fight or flight response. Yep. And rest and digest, right? Yep. So we're talking here about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. These are controlling our organs. As it says, rest and digest. So we already know that's a hint for us. This is controlling our organs. So in many times when clients come to see me and they have, for example, a problem with a very strong um, urge to urinate or they urinate every half an hour. Um, so we need to find out, okay, where does this com problem come from? Does it come from you not being able to coordinate your, your um, willingly, your pelvic floor muscles, the outer layers? Is it because when you're stressed, you're clenching and holding in your belly and you're clenching your, your um, vaginal and rectal muscles? Is it option B, because of your, um, your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system are imbalanced because you're so stressed that you're running in sympathetic overdrive and your heart rate is fast and your hands are sweaty and your bladder is either shooting out the urine all two seconds because it's so contracted and so small in that moment um, or is it just a poor lifestyle you're drinking a lot of alcohol you're drinking a lot of coffee a lot of sugary drinks bladder irritants um, so you see, I can talk for hours. It's just because this area, there is so many um, uh, ties running together. We have many stations to check. Yeah, is there a most common station that is that affects the modern person? Stress. Yeah. Stress. Stress. Uh, where does that hurt? Does that go into the autonomous nervous system? Um, stuff. Stress is uh, is going is affecting the whole body. Um, but specifically the areas of the, f the pelvic floor. No, I mean, that's where I'm specialized in. So that's that's the angle that I'm presenting you the stress with. I'm sure like a neurologist tells you about migraines and a, and a dentist tells you about grinding teeth. And, you know, so. Yeah. so um, but yes, uh, one very interesting uh, thought that I that I follow the recent years and that that brings me deeper and deeper in into these rabbit holes is um, our subconscious and unconscious habits. So when we are stressed, um, 
we are having we are having developing strategies to balance ourselves, right? We're having maybe habits that we're uh, customizing with the years because we are stressed. Um, we're having maybe postures um, that we're um, going to because we are stressed. For example, um, most of the people will have like more like a hunched position when they're stressed. Their shoulders will be um, closed. Uh, their chest will be closed. Their neck will be tight. Maybe maybe they will hold their teeth, um, kind of grind their teeth. Maybe when you notice yourself stressed, you notice you're breathing less. Um, maybe more of like a flat breath that your abdominal muscles might be tight. You're holding them in. Some people clench their butts a little bit when they're when they're stressed. Um, all of those unconscious, subconscious reactions are written in the school books. You can see them everywhere. It's we're just humans are just animals. You can see our our default um, positions when we're stressed. Yeah. So. Um, the, my biggest job with people is bringing the unconscious to your consciousness. So I'm telling you, oh, yeah, like your pelvic floor is, is tight and unfunctional because you're unable to have a full expansion of breath because you're holding in your stomach muscles all day long, which is not healthy, by the way. And then it's like, oh, why is that? So if I would just ignore the rest of the story, I would tell you, go home and do breathing exercises. What good would that do if you're sitting hunched over and there is no space for your ribs to, to have a full breathing expansion? And what good does it have if we, if we treat your neck pain and your headaches, if you're clenching your teeth 24-7 and nobody's telling you that you're clenching your teeth because you don't know maybe yourself, maybe you don't notice. So 80% of my job is doing a thorough assessment with people and bringing the unconscious to the conscious so we can start somewhere, start at the root. That's why I'm always asking why, why, why? But why does your head hurt? But why are your teeth clenching? <laughs> oh, you're stressed. Okay. Like stress today is a, is a diagnosis. We can work with it. It's a, nerval, uh, it's a nervous system disorder. A stressed nervous system is a system that lives in sympathetic override. And sympathetic override has a physiological chain of events happening in the body and our job as therapists is it to unravel this chain of events and to treat that but I'm a physiotherapist that means I'm a therapist of the body now our body is one part but the boss is still in the brain okay yeah. the boss is in the brain holding all the wheels and controlling everything so I always point out that it's so, so, so important to work in a multidisciplinary approach. So I have a lot of amazing people I work with. I can refer my clients to psychologists, um, alternative practitioners, uh, nutritionists, um, Ayurvedic nutritionists. So I have so many ways. I have the classic route for people who want a clinic psychologist. I have the alternative sound healer. I, People need have so many um, different angles of approach, um, and yeah. we need to treat this holistically. Yeah. Do you uh, did you tell me you're a yoga instructor as well? Yeah. Where does where did where did that come into play in your experience in your life in terms of where it uh, started? So yoga um, always played a, a role in my life. I grew up uh, practicing yoga. I wasn't aware that it was yoga when I was practicing it. So my father. Um, was practicing practicing very regularly, and I joined him in his practice, just like you know, like children for fun, for fun, yeah. just for fun, exactly stretching with dad. 
and and then later on um, I was focusing more on like functional training and doing the physiotherapy studies but it was like very technical and I was like oh yeah this is amazing very scientific and evidence-based and um, and then once I finished my studies I, I fell in love again with yoga and I was like wow this is so holistic like the philosophy behind it the mindfulness um, and that's exactly what I'm that what I'm trying so hard to cultivate in my practice is teaching my clients to connect the mind and the body be in your body because it's, you were saying that's that's the boss exactly the boss so um, so be there and and um, it's not important what you do and I, I meet so many clients that come in and tell me I do functional training I do heat I did weightlifting and I do this three times a week and I do that and Sometimes it's not important what you do, but how you do it. So if you are, if you're having a good relationship and a good connection to your body, it's so much worth. And if you feel if you're doing too much, that's also so much worth. Um, and yeah, just having this mindfulness connection with the body um, is really important. And your familiarity with yoga, your knowledge in yoga, do you think it helps you with your day-to-day -day physiotherapy treatments? Um, yeah, and so f for me, I think um, I do this so long that it's just my my being, my identity. So in my identity, I am a yoga teacher. I'm I'm following the philosophy of yoga, but I'm also um, studying evidence. I'm I'm keeping myself up to date with. Um, with the latest updates um, of studies in the field of physiotherapy, but also other fields. Um, so I do feel that that all of this together um, is is just really improving improving my practice. And um, yeah, I just I just do this because it's yeah, it's so much fun. It's so interesting. <laughs> like I can talk about all yeah. of this, these things for hours. Yeah. yeah. How is uh, the perception of yoga in uh, in Germany in Munich? Is it as big as it is getting or has been getting in uh, everywhere else? Everywhere I else, I said. I wasn't in Germany since for a long, long time. time. Yeah, <laughs> for a long time. But you still practice yoga? I mean, um, it's your, say, you say it's your way of life, uh, but do you dedicate time uh, for specific yoga? Again, I won't use terms here that I probably won't pronounce correctly, uh, but do you do different yoga flows your way, develop things your way, recommend certain things to certain people? from the yoga world? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a yoga teacher. I give uh, yoga classes um, and I implement my practice uh, in my, my treatments with, with clients, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what would you say, what are the five tips to that average person we stop on the street that does not know about the pelvic floor? Okay. So the person that uh, does not want to fart in a packed elevator. <laughs> First of all, do it. It's fun. <laughs> Just for the fun. <laughs> Bucket list. Um, so my tips, my five top tips for a healthy pelvic floor definitely is um, daily movement snacks. So again, zoom in, zoom out. We don't have to do those um, very, maybe you heard of Kegels. It's that's uh, that's the only thing I've heard of when it comes to um, you know people mainstream wise talking about the pelvic floor exercises. Yeah, Kegels. Exactly. 
So um, Kegels is, is, a, is a contraction um, of the pelvic floor muscles. So many people, that's the only thing they know. That's, they think that that's what you need to do. So as we talked about it before, many um, women and also men can leak urine because their pelvic floors are too clenched. That means they're doing a continuous Kegel or they're always Kegeling. And that's why they're leaking. Because if you imagine your pelvic floor like my arm. Okay, so now my arm is straight. My elbow is straight. And I can bend my, my elbow until I touch my shoulder with my hand. So it's the full range of motion. Yeah. Now, if I do a pelvic floor contraction, a Kegel, I'm bending my elbow, right? So I'm Kegeling, I'm clenching all my openings in my pelvic floor, and I'm holding that the whole day. Now, imagine my, the bladder is full and I'm sneezing and I need to contract to hold that impact to avoid the urine to come out. I couldn't even imagine so if keeping it contracted the whole day. There is people who are doing this unconsciously. Wow. Yeah. It's an unconscious stress reaction, like clenching the teeth. Um, so when the pelvic floor is always slightly contracted, there is no range of motion to, to get even more contractions. So that's when the bladder starts leaking because the muscle is not in its function anymore. Um, so Kegels, pelvic floor contractions, is a very specific and isolated exercise that I may give to, uh, to patients who have a diagnosed weakness of the pelvic floor, which is a small percentage, a very small percentage of people who come to see me. Um, so for 95% of the population that's probably listening to this podcast, um, my top five tips to keep your pelvic floor healthy and functional is daily movement, which is walking. Your pelvic floor loves to go for walks and your whole body does. So daily walking, 30 minutes and more. Um, daily movement snacks. So other than walking, you want to keep your lower back and your hip joints. Um, you want to give them a bit of basic movements. You can do some hula hip circles. You can do some cat cows. You can do sitting cat cows, just like some pelvic tilts. Um, you can do some squats just like in the air, some knee bends. Basic stuff. Really, it's basic, basic stuff. Walking, hip and lower back and easy, mobility. Easy to do that easy anyone can implement. Easy to do, yes. It's so easy to be healthy if you just have five minutes a day, seriously. Um, third thing is watch your toilet habits, okay? Please don't take your phone to the toilet. Um, only go to the toilet if you really have to. Okay, so no just in case peeing. Just go to pee when your bladder is really full and asking for it. Um, don't go to the toilet if you don't have to poop yet. Okay, if the train is not in the station, don't go. Wait for the right timing, then go. Put a little stool under your feet so your knees are elevated. This is the perfect position to poop, okay? If you sit in a 90 degree angle like you do on a regular chair, you will damage your pelvic floor over the years, okay? So put a stool under your um, feet. Um, don't spend a long time on the toilet. So if you're, um, if you're about like 10 minutes in and out for a big bowel movement, that's already tops, that's already a long time. Um, you wanna avoid straining at all costs. So no straining with big bowel movements. Okay. No straining with peeing. There's something that we poor women have to do sometimes in public toilets when we don't want to sit down. It's called power peeing, 
where you just kind of hover over the toilet. That's my first time hearing that <laughs> term. Yes. Pow power peeing. Power peeing. So please stop with the power peeing. No hovering over the toilets, okay? If the, the toilet is so gross that you can sit down, okay, there's two techniques you can do. One is you just... Um, flip open the whole, like the lid, how is it called? The toilet lid? Or the, the, the seat, the toilet seat. seat. The toilet yeah. seat. You flip it open and you step on the toilet with your feet and then you sit down in a squat, okay? So then you can relax and you Ooh, can it Sounds pee. risky. That it's for the it's for the advanced, exactly. Yeah, if, for the you're, advanced, if you're yeah. less advanced, you just take a lot of toilet paper, put it on the, on the seat and then sit down on the toilet paper. This is third technique where you just rest your arms on your legs and you try to relax your belly as much as you can to just not push the pee out so the pee should flow out of your relaxed body that's important that's about the toileting okay so no so pushing. that was one tip everything you just mentioned yes it was okay. one tip i told you i love to talk about all these yeah, things yeah please <laughs> I, this is the practical advice that everyone exactly. needs to hear and i'm about to take exactly. some notes so we don't want to strain no straining at all any cost, yes. really. Yes, no pushing out pee or poop. Um, and keep it short and just go if you really have to. Exactly. So that's about the toileting. Um, so I'm um, going from the so top. So number one, we want to move. Yes. Number two, we said mobility for hips and lower back. Number three, we said toilet habits. Okay. Uh, number four, what's your posture? So you don't want to be, for example, somebody who is tucking their butt under, tailbone tuckers, okay? So you want to have a nice little neutral lower back arch. Um, you don't want to kind of like hang in your posture. There's some people, when you look at them from the side, you see that the, the pelvis is like sway and like sway to the front and like yep. tucked under and their shoulders are like round and kind of like slouched to the front. Yep. Well, there's actually studies, and I'll listen up everybody very carefully. There's actually studies that your posture can influence your libido and your uh, orgasms. So if you have a shitty posture, <laughs> you should correct it because it can have an influence on your libido and your ability to orgasm. Incredible. Number and, yeah, and your yeah. pelvic floor strength as well. Yeah. Wow. Number five. Number five. Um, number five is the breathing, as we talked about it. So mm -hmm. there is a breath. It's called a 360-degree breath. So we want to make sure we can explore our breathing expansion all around. Okay? So for sure you heard about chest I, breath and belly I breath. I have, and I'll pause you if you don't mind for yeah. a second. There was, um, I heard a quote that said that the, today the Western person, the modern person, breathes to survive not to live mm. what do you think yeah uh, i mean look i'm in shock like <laughs> people that come and see me so 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 many people we need to start from scratch on how to breathe and and yeah I, I love to teach that because it's so necessary for so many people and um there there's just zero knowledge out there zero People are like, wait, but shouldn't I always breathe in my belly? Somebody told me it's very good to breathe in my belly. And then I was like, yeah, but breathing is like um, working out. So if I tell you it's good to do, do push-ups, would that be the only exercise you will be doing all your life? Probably not. Probably not. So there will be pull-ups, there will be squats, right? So... The same is with breathing. So again, as a yoga teacher, we have, we call it pranayama, where we, like, we practice the, the breathing. Um, 
there is so many different exercises as, as the breath goes. But I can tell you that the two most important breathing exercises that people can do um, at home would be the lateral ribcage breathing, where you can, for example, for women, when you wear a bra, the bra is going all around the, the ribs. The lateral ribcage breathing. Yes. So the bra is going all around the ribcage, right? For men, it's just like um, below the... Um, the chest, um, the rib cage. You can feel that with your hands when you're grabbing left and right. And when you take a few deep breaths, you can feel how your rib cage is kind of expanding under your hands. So we have this rib cage expansion. For some people, it's relatively small. For other people, they can expand it really wide as if you want to snap your bra apart. So that is one really important breath. Now, for some people, that is more easy to breathe, to breathe in the upper areas of the chest. Those people might have more difficulties breathing into their belly. So there is another breathing technique, which is the belly breath, where we want to make sure that we are not breathing into our ribs too much, but actually channeling the breath down into our belly and then feel how our belly is filling with air when we inhale and then just relax when we exhale. Those are the two most common breathing techniques that I'm teaching in the beginning for people to really reconnect um, to their bodies. Fantastic. But with the breathing, then, is that something people should approach almost like a workout, like dedicate specific number of minutes to practicing those different breathing techniques? Or is it something they should be implementing on their day-to-day -day lives as they're writing emails, as they're driving cars, etc.? Um, so... Again, after so many years of, of working in this profession, um, I came to the conclusion that breathing is the essence of life. <laughs> Without breathing, we would be dead. I, I came to this conclusion after. <laughs> well done. Well yeah, done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, why is breathing so important? And yes, um, my answer is yes. Everybody should should dedicate mindful moments throughout their day to breathing because it's the most basic and uh, most controlling function of all. Um, your posture and all the functions in your body is related to your breath. And the reason why um, breathing needs to be implemented daily is because it's the gate to your consciousness. Before that, we talked about the unconscious and the conscious procedures and, and habits we're having. So when I'm asking people, for example, we can do it right now. We can now take a moment where we take deep breaths and we just feel inside. I'm going to ask you questions about your breathing. Oh boy. For example, where do you feel the breath in your body? Do you feel it in your chest? Do you feel it in your belly? I feel it going in the towards my spine, I think, slowly going up to, and then making its way forward towards my chest. Good. So you already you already step further. You already feel the way how the air is entering into your lungs and then you feel the breath expansion. Exactly. So when we're doing this analyzation, we are literally going inside. Our senses are in this moment and our senses are going internal. Okay, so when I'm asking you now, continue the breath, 
and try now to play with the breath, okay? So we're already going a step further. We're going from awareness to taking action, okay? That can be already uh, difficult for some people. So it's the great first step. So the breath is the gate to our awareness. And that's what we need to do first. So when I want to make a change with people and I want to teach them a lifestyle change, first of all, we need to bring to awareness what they're doing. The breath is the first step. If I want somebody to tell me how an exercise is feeling, I want them to describe me where their pain is and when do they feel their pain, they first of all need to be aware that this is happening in their body, which for so many people we're so disconnected from the feelings that we have in our body that we first of all need to get back into the body. And when we are stressed and we're living in our world where we're always on the phone and all this external input that we're like thrown, that's getting thrown at us, going inside is the first step, which is the hardest step for many people. Um, so the breath is the first step for us to reconnect, to be aware of the unaware. What do you feel in your body? Is the most important question we should ask us when we do this breathing question, when we do this breathing exercise. Do you have people that think you're crazy? Uh, most of my friends, yeah. Good. <laughs> good. Um, that's probably it's probably a good sign. Um, so if if someone walks daily, does movement daily, moves their joints, um, follows your tips about going to the toilet, not pushing too hard, not going when it's unnecessary. Um, Good, you remember um, a lot. I'm trying, I'm trying to. <laughs> um, number four was posture, watching your posture. And number five is trying to implement uh, some breathing to live and not just autonomous breathing so you don't fall and die. Um, so if an, the average person on the street implements those five things in their lives, which I think everyone or most people should be able to, uh, the odds are that they'll have a healthy pelvic floor. The odds, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so first, I will impl I will try to uh, be more at least conscious of those things and how those small implementations in my life, my loved ones' lives can uh, or the listeners' lives can potentially get better um, or maybe experience a bit less pain and just, yeah, in, in go through your days with um, less chronic pain, less discomfort is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, living our best lives. Our, our best, best lives, yeah. So you can yeah. focus on what you should be focusing yeah, and on. and prevention, as you said, yeah. right? Prevention, like we don't want to even just develop pain. Like we Maintenance, wanna, yeah. Maintenance, we want to, yeah, be our best selves. So that's the, uh, those are the tips for... Um, for really anyone, any person, right? Um, I have two more questions that, um, again, might be important here. One is age. Where does age come in? Do kids experience? Um, yeah. Kids have a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction. So it's not a um, just an age thing. It's people all. from just people. People. <laughs> uh, from zero to 100. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, children, yeah. for example, can have um, a lot of rectal prolapses. We see that a lot. So... Um, when again there comes in the stress that comes in um, emotions so that's why it's so multi-layered again for children there's um, when they are stressed or when the parents are hurrying them on the toilet and telling them faster faster 
like when children press a lot on the toilet and their their tissues are still very soft so what can happen is that their their rectum can prolapse um, and that's something that there is also a lot of surgeries and that in the children's age that's that's a very common surgery in that age so that's why it's so 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 important um, that parents know how to do correct toilet training when they're children and if parents would do better with toilet training their children, then I wouldn't have as much work today. So most of my um, female clients that I see and their bladder dysfunctions comes from wrong toileting since childhood. For example, the mother um, telling her daughter every time before we leave the house, go to the toilet now uh, because then maybe we might be in the car and then you can. So that's where it, the just in case peeing gets trained. And tip then, number three. Tip number three, exactly. So don't go just in case. So it starts with childhood, really. That's where Pelvic for Health is starting. Take your time. No pushing. Um, explain your children about their genitals, you know, about their functions. Nothing to be ashamed about. Teach them how to clean them, how to take care of them. And yeah, that's like for the children and then as well um, for elderly. By the way, um, peeing your pants is not something that is natural in higher age. We always think, oh, yeah, people get older, they poop their pants. That's what's happening when they're 70. Yeah. But it's not a natural process of aging. It's actually pelvic floor dysfunction. Well, so even so, so a so if someone is old of the senior age and they are experiencing what you just said, um, then it's also a reason for concern and maybe a pelvic floor issue. Yeah, we need to see when the prevention should come in. You know, there's yeah. things we can change. There's things where we should have changed it a bit earlier, but it's never too late. For sure, there's always something that can be done since it's muscles and they can be trained. Yeah. But the earlier, the better. And that's why everyone that thinks they might have a question about their pelvic floor, just go and get it checked. It's like the dentist, like your gyno, Please take care of your body and don't wait because otherwise it's going to be just more work and harder work. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. You po you post information online on your social media platforms. Yes. Where can people yes. find you? Yes. So uh, you can find me on Instagram, Sonia, uh, downline, the physio. Um, yeah, Sonia uh, underscore. Underscore, thank you. <laughs> Sonia underscore the physio. Sonia underscore the physio. On, on Instagram. Instagram. And that's the, that's the social media platform you use generally? Yes. For, okay, fantastic. Um, I was going to ask you also about uh, sitting, just sitting, because everyone sits, right? We sit, I don't know, probably too much, uh, but most things we do, we sit. Um, and it's, you know, I know we, we always hear about posture and we always hear about uh, back pain and we always hear about all these different things. Um, so is, is um, if you're, let's say you're sitting with the perfect posture, Let's say, you know, following all the rules, sitting correctly, limiting the time that you sit. But does, does the action of sitting affect in any way the pelvic floor? Um, so we can go back to, to what we talk about, the posture. So posture affects us, point. Yeah. Um, there's different kinds of postures. And of course, if we sit for eight hours, uh, and that's, yeah, less good, right? Sitting, we know it's not good. Um, so... Sitting itself, for example, um, is, is, is a position that is not as bad for the pelvic floor. But again, any posture that we hold for a long, long time is damaging our body. So we want to move, just move. 
Just Moving. switch it up. Switch it up. Yeah. Get a desk where you can stand. Uh, maybe sit on a, one of those yoga balls, or we call them pregnancy balls. Um, that's amazing for the pelvic floor. Um, just, you know, get some movement snacks, as we said before. Implement some movement breaks in between. Um, yeah, just, just switch up the posture. Do maybe some stretches, you know, some deep breathing in between. Open your chest. Yeah. Um, may I ask you... May I ask you what's your what's your mission when it comes to this? Are you still digging down this rabbit hole? Um, do you have new rabbit holes you're heading down um, when it comes to the human body? Um, so yeah, so my my mission my mission is basically what we're doing right now, and I'm super yeah I'm I'm super happy that we're doing that. We're spreading awareness, so that's my my mission because I came to the conclusion after treating so many people that we just really need to spread information. That's all we need to do. Like now I told you how to, I don't know, maybe you, there's some some new knowledge that you took out of this and you're like, oh, so I'm just going to stop, do that. And boom, we don't have another yeah. <laughs> client with whatever dysfunctions. Okay, so because we did not talk enough about the pelvic floor in the past, I feel that a big part of my job and a big part of, of helping my clients is just providing them information. It's that simple. It's just, it's just explaining you how to do it, and then you do it, and that's it. And, and that's my mission right now. It's just getting the information out there, going to as many podcasts as I can, speaking to as many people as I can, telling my clients to tell their friends how to use the toilet properly and so on. And don't be ashamed if you um, have symptoms and talk to your healthcare provider. Um, if you experience pain with intercourse, please talk to your partner and come see a pelvic floor therapist. Please do not suffer in silence. Um, that is really my main mission and that's that's really close to my heart. Um, other than that, I um, am going to learn and to study more about um, sexual dysfunctions in the future. I signed up for some very interesting studies. I'm not going to talk about it <laughs> in detail because, you know, I'm just I'm just um, I'm starting to study that. Yeah. But I'm specifying a bit more. We'll, 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 be, we'll be excited to hear about it when, exactly. yeah, when you're ready to. Exactly. Yeah. So I will definitely um, go down the rabbit hole of um, sexual dysfunctions and sexuality a bit more to, to provide my clients with even better um, also psychological nuances, right? I'm still a physiotherapist, but in some situations people are... Um, opening up and then you want to provide them with um, a good framing and refer them whenever you can. Yeah, look, I um, I do not think you're crazy. <laughs> um, I, th I think you're a gem to society, to the culture. Um, and I think that, yeah, keep following your mission, keep spreading the uh, the word because um, understanding the body, the body better has helped my life personally, has helped people around me. Um, change their lives completely uh, because again less pain less discomfort will lead you just to be more relaxed more happy and more focused on the things that you want to be focused about um, so thank you for being here thank you for uh, talking I know you have a lot to say and uh, hopefully we have you back to talk about um, um, other rabbit holes that you're digging down um, so Sonia thank you very much Danny thank you so much for having me <laughs>